Hello, I'm Niall Easton, and this is Roll Call, a Unified Fire podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we have three chiefs with us. We've got Chief Riley Pilgrim, Chief Brett Fossum, and Chief Clint Meekum. Also joining me is PIO Matt McFarland. Of course, Cam DeVogue is uh, producing the show today. How are you doing, Cam? Hey, I'm very good. Thank Everybody you. Everybody else, how are you doing? Are you staying healthy? Doing well. Nobody's told me otherwise yet. <laughs> no, I'm good. Doing great. So we brought you in because you guys are kind of steering the, the you're at the nexus of how Unified Fire and how the county are kind of handling this whole coronavirus, this COVID-19 situation. And I wanted to talk particularly because I don't really understand the differences. And I know there's probably some, I hope, that also don't. Just I know when we, we got going on this, we debated how we would attack it. And uh, Riley, you you formed a um, task force first. Yep. What goes into the decision that, okay, we need to do something? And what, what exactly is the criterion for making a task force? So one thing that kind of pushed that was we had a pretty instant impact from COVID. We had a crew go on a call and they had a potential exposure to a patient that might have been a, a COVID positive individual. We, we didn't have that at the time, but as soon as it happened, we kind of realized that this was here and we had a pretty big challenge on our hands. And, and at that time, we had some procedures in place, a lot more related to the past flu procedures that we used, but they were not adequate for dealing with COVID. So Pretty much as soon as that happened, the, the first thought that kind of came to mind was we need to address this, but at a much larger level than just this crew organization, we need to get on top of this quick. And so what my thought was, we instantly went towards a task, task force configuration, which in the ICS world is a little bit different than how we did it here. But the intent of the task force was a, to bring together a group of individuals who all had a stake in this as far as medical, uh, logistics, safety um, operations and get some of the key players in the room as quickly as possible, start coming up with a game plan to not only deal with what just happened, but moving forward. And so the task force, the, the intent of that was to get those, those people in the room, start doing research, start, start pulling, uh, data information, talking to other organizations and figuring out what kind of things we need to start doing here at Unified Fire Authority. So it's was, it was more of a, uh, kind of a think group versus an operational component. Uh, we just wanted to get, you know, the right people to start making those decisions quickly. And so by getting those people in the room, we're able to streamline a lot of the decision-making and procedural drafting and just some of the things that usually take a lot of time with having the key players in the room, we're able to, to streamline what had to be done. Does this cross over with what county EMs doing at the same time? Oh, absolutely. It, it actually dovetails very nicely. So one of the things we're doing at the county level in working with the health department is we're the ones who get the initial reports of those crews potentially being exposed. And so through our emergency support function four, which is firefighting, we can reach out to those those individual departments, whether they be unified fire or another department in, in the valley, and let them know they have a potential exposure. So um, what Chief Pilgrim has done with the, the task force and the IMT within unified fire fits really, really well in with the bigger picture. Now we can we can notify that IMT that, hey, UFA has had a potential exposure and let them deal with it. And it's it's been recommended as a best practice for the other departments to follow across the valley as well, whether they be law enforcement or fire. So it dovetails really, really well. What was new for me as a civilian is, you know, I've, I've seen these terms at other places I work, but essentially it's just putting together a group of people and away we go. It seems like there's some very set 
criterion that are met or, or how it meets as a group and what you're producing or doing. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So what Chief Meekham just said in IMT, we call those incident management teams. Um, traditionally, they're used around the country for a variety of different responses, um, whether it's an emergency, an incident, a planned event, you can in- institute the use of an incident management team on all those. And basically, it's an organizational tool where our most familiar process or use of it is with wildland fire. So a lot of us have gone through the wildland fire um, component, and we've obtained certain qualifications and different levels of experience that allow us to put a team together. And we understand these roles and positions that all come together to organize chaos, for lack of a better term. And so the task force, we decided we transition to an incident management team. And what the team does is now provides an organizational leadership and operational component. And it compiles all these different things into one organized structure. So we have like an operations piece, which is probably the, the primary things, right? So we all are here to support operations. Um, you'll have a logistics component and they take care of all the logistical needs. We have a planning component, which Chief Awesome's helping run, um, which helps put together all the data, the information, and, and it structures a plan for the operations people. And we have a financial component that just tracks cost. At the top, you'll have the incident commander, which within the fire service, we're always used to having an incident commander on everything. So knowingly or not, we set up ICS on every single call we go on. Um, what you're seeing here is a, a much larger component of that. Um, below the incident commander, you'll have a PIO, a liaison officer, and a safety officer who help just basically coordinate all these moving parts and make sure that whatever operations needs at the end of the day, they're getting. And for us, we want to make sure we're taking care of our responders, but we're also taking care of the community needs. And so it's kind of a, you know, it's a unique aspect to this incident management that we're dealing with here. Um, but it's a, it's a traditional process. It's commonly used around the country. Uh, most large fire agencies and federal agencies use ICS. Law enforcement, they, they, they're compatible. Most law enforcement agencies comply with ICS. They do things a little bit differently sometimes. But regardless, we can bring a lot of moving parts into a common operating picture. And it doesn't matter who you work for, where you're from. Once we fold you into ICS, it's all a very streamlined, organized process. And and the same kind of structure applies with what we're doing at the county level with the ECC. Instead of an incident commander, we have a unified command made up of three people, but we have the same operations, plans, logistics, and finance. And it makes it really, really easy for uh, a an incident management team like Unified Fires to dovetail into the larger structure that we have um, working at the county level too. And again, it just, as Chief Pilgrim said, it helps streamline that process and and bring a little order to the chaos and and prevent confusion in the future. So, I think that's a good segue to talk about where incident management came from and uh, the fact that we're working closely with the county. Uh, UFA uses it quite a bit as an agency. Um, We see it in the wildland world. If you come from wildland, you have a lot of experience with it. Most firefighters have a good awareness of it, but the general public probably doesn't understand this networks in place and what we're doing here. We're not working well together just because we are local and we know each other. This is a standardized format that's used nationally and internationally. And so it's scalable. We can build it up to any size event um, and everything's already in place. You know how to build off the the structure Um, and and all agencies have some familiarization with it. And this came from uh, the 1970 fire season in Southern California, where they did after action reviews and found out that 
one of the big things was common terminology, common command structure, stuff like that, that one department didn't do the same as the other. So they came up with this system that was usable for everybody. And we've seen it used for fires, for natural disasters, uh, space shuttle recovery missions. We use the same scalable and uh, common terminology sort of system for Chief Burchett's funeral structure, which we knew was going to be big. So public events, it works for everything. Um, and that's why it, it works so good for this sort of thing too. So many different entities can come together and know what we're talking about because we all have the same training and have the same uh, vision for it. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the structure that we have at the county level has well over 100 people in the various divisions or sections and then branches underneath the, the, the sections. And they come from a wide variety. It's not just fire and law enforcement. There's health department, there's human and aging services, there's public works, there's um, contracts and procurement. So we have a lot of different people from all over the County um, working in that same structure and speaking the same speak, if you will. And, and they're, and they're dovetailing, not just with, like unified fires incident management team, but they're dovetailing with the state folks and the federal folks in those same, those same structures above and below. And it makes that much, much easier to manage the information flow and, and coordinate that way. That's for sure. And but, if this went long-term, you could pull resources from anywhere. So you, I know you guys have all traveled for, uh, incidences in the past and trained in other states. So you're qualified for these jobs. If this went long and we were short, say a logistics person, we could pull a logistic person from another state and plug him in here. And he'd know exactly what we needed. Um, once we familiarized him with our particular incident, is that right? Yeah. And, uh, and that's kind of a, a dual head component as well, but qualifications are, are fairly large. Uh, and, that all came from the NWCG, the National Wildfire Coordinating Group, uh, that put qualifications together. And, and I want to touch back on on one point. So even though this came from from the 70s and the wildland season that happened within within California, um, in all reality, it came from the Vietnam era and military coming back and having some sort of standardized system. And then that was the catalyst in the 70s to uh, kind of push it forward because there was a lot of loss of life and huge devastating fires that were occurring and no way to really organize that. And so uh, you had these Vietnam vets that, that kind of brought this together and then, and then uh, modified it to fit what we had on the civilian side of things and, and kind of push it out. And, and so the qualification system came from the NWCG as well, uh, which allows uh, anyone from across the country, if you're qualified in a certain position and area, functional area, uh, you have that knowledge base and the know-how to, uh, to fulfill that role and function. Uh, and that's one of the big things with, with ICS is uh, having the know-how and then having people that are qualified within that position. So all hazards, uh, probably for the past uh, 17 years or so, all hazards as kind of been uh, a part of that and it's not as hot and heavy as it is with wildland fire wildland fire you're not allowed on an incident if you're not qualified in a certain position uh, if you're not qualified as as a resource unit leader or uh, you're not there as a trainee you're not allowed into that position uh, same thing with any operational position so a lot of these uh, it takes years and years and years to get both the the know-how as well as the qualification to move up in that system. All hazards came about uh, because of of 9/11 essentially, and and that's where it was pushed from the federal government, uh, and and they made certain uh, executive decisions at the federal government to push that down to local level. 
uh, because of various problems. And, and so the all hazards system uh, dovetailed off of the wildland system uh, and you still have those qualifications. Now it's not quite as robust and there are still uh, some, some things going through it that are a little bit muddy. Um, but just like uh, we're for this particular COVID response uh, for the County side, uh, health is the operations function, right? Because it's a health pandemic. And so health, health actually runs the operations. And uh, so all the logistical components, the planning side, all that is, is the same as, as any other position and role that we fill on a day-to-day basis. Um, but the operational piece is, is a different, unique animal and a different piece of the puzzle than we're, we're normally used to, but it still follows the function of an operations section. And so we get that know-how, you get that, that baseline information and, uh, knowledge base there. And then you can roll that, uh, into any other incident that we have, right? So whether it's pandemic, whether it's hurricane, whether it's an earthquake, uh, anything that we have, you can, you can modify ICS and you can grow ICS to as large an incident as you have. You can shrink it to as, as small of an incident as you have. And that's why on the fire end of things, it's, it's tried and true. And, and on every incident we, we use ICS and we have an incident commander that's established and, and we roll through ICS that way. Now our view is, is pretty, uh, myopic. We don't, we don't really see the, the large view, uh, to a, a, a large extent until you get on large incidents where they, and, and you have different typing systems as well. Um, so type one through a type five, type five is your, your normal, just for the fire end of things, just a smaller event, right? A type one is a large natural disaster hurricane. This COVID response is a type one event. It's, it's large scale. You've got thousands of people that are working on this incident, on this event. And so it kind of puts all these people into the same component and, and, uh, moving towards a, a set objective or several set objectives, uh, to bring an incident to a close. And so that's, um, qualification system is huge. The, the process is huge. Once you get that process in place, it helps to, to kind of do the same thing and, and get into, uh, what's, what's called a battle rhythm as chief Meekham always <laughs> likes to likes to talk about, but old habits die hard. Sorry. So, I mean, this is, it's truly unique. We haven't dealt with a pandemic like this on this scale in our state, like that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure back in the early 1900s with the flu that came around, they did, but how has it been applying this, this model into a pandemic? You talked a little bit about it. How do you feel it's going in general? I think for us as an organization, it's gone better than we could expect. I think at first it was a little bit of a rough start because honestly, I felt like we were behind the curve. Um, <clears throat> but putting all this stuff together, I think it's, as Chief Awesome says, literally just applying it to a new problem. So the tool works in almost any scenario. Mm-hmm. It's just the application of it and doing it correctly. And so for us, the new thing about this one is, as was mentioned, this is a pandemic. It's not our wheelhouse. If this is a wildfire or a hazmat or something else, I can see it out the window. I'm like, all right, I know what we got going on here. But this with the pandemic, it's almost like it's an invisible incident. And in some ways it feels like an exercise because we're just going through these motions and we're not seeing a change in anything. Where we're on a fire, another scenario that we're used to, you eventually see a change. So I think what's challenging about this one is the long game. We got to, the, the value that IMTs, it gives us 
long-term perspective and we're not just chasing a fire up a hill or dealing with an immediate emergency. We're dealing with something that could be extended for a, a significant amount of time. Hmm. And so this has allowed us to establish some processes that will be, will not only be accurate and current to the situation, but it allow us to vet them and make sure they're still valid as this continues on. So that, that's been kind of the unique thing is though it's a pandemic and it's a little bit out of our wheelhouse as a fire department. Um, we respond to it. It's still our emergency. It's still everybody else's emergency. And so I feel like the team and the IMT process has allowed us to make sure that those on the field who have to do this every single day are getting the best information at their fingertips to make those decisions when they have to. Um, unique to us as well as we, we fall into the operations piece under the health department. So typically we're used to being in charge and being the people calling the shots. And this time we're just a component of a much greater plan. And so we just, we, we put the team in there the best way it would fit. We're taking care of our organization and we're partnering and collaborating with the county and other agencies to just make sure we're, our actions are commensurate with what they want accomplished. And I, and I'd also add, I mean, to kind of emphasize to what Chief Pilgrim said, for the, for our people out in the fire stations and stuff, there's a very large complex structure working here that they pro that's probably invisible to them, but even getting like PPE, PPE out to them, whether it's the masks, gloves, gowns, there's dozens of people every day working at the county level and the state level to try and provide those needs. So while we are supporting the health department and it is a health department centric event, the structure is there to support all of our tactical people out in the field. And it also provides that structure and that stability where people who don't normally work in this emergency mode, um, find some stability and find a rhythm where they can bring their expertise and their, and their specializations to bear to support those people out in the field. And that's been real interesting and, and fun to watch, mm. um, where you normally wouldn't have health department people, um, necessarily, looking specifically at EMS operations, that's not really their thing, so to speak, but now they are taking a, a long, hard look at, at, well, how do we protect our, our first responders and our first receivers um, and those kinds of things um, from a logistical standpoint, how do we physically move when we find supplies to where they need to be? Um, and, and how do we coordinate it with a limited amount of supplies? Who gets what the, that the, all of those processes have been interesting to watch. And, um, I applaud everybody from, from, from the folks riding the big red trucks all the way up to, um, the state and the federal level, uh, on how they've been able to, uh, bring all these resources to bear and make sure that to the extent possible, all of our people are taken care of. And I would, I would also proffer that, uh, without the system in place, we would, and who knows how it ends up, right? We're, we're, uh, we're a month and a half since the Salt Lake County uh, stood up basically that, that ICS structure, uh, and, and we're about 30 days since, uh, things have been rolling full tilt. Uh, so we don't know exactly how this is going to end, but, but I almost guarantee without the system in place and without us going through this process on a regular basis, we'd be in a much worse position than we are right now. Uh, we, we wouldn't have the, the capability or the know-how and it would be continual battle. And, and would we get through it? Sure. We'd, we'd get through it, but uh, it just makes it much more efficient and effective uh, when we go through that process. And and so I think both on the Salt Lake County side, as well as uh, internal to Unified Fire, if we weren't going through the process, if we didn't have the incident management team stood up, if we didn't have 
those functional areas that that we were working through on a day to day basis. Uh, this this would look a lot different, and it would be uh, a lot worse off for both the civilians, the citizens we serve, and and our firefighters that that we're dealing with on the UFA side, and and their families that are greatly affected by this. So, just talking to a few friends out in the field, captains, um, it felt like for them, like it lagged information at first. It was like, what are we supposed to be doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And then suddenly it was too much. And then it throttled. Now it's like you guys have really hit, you've hit your stride, so to speak. It feels like it's about right. How much work is going into gathering that information? How are you deciding what to parse out and what to say? Yep. We're going to include that in the briefing because you're doing a, um, a briefing every two days, right. For the start of shift. So how, what's the process to compile that? So, yeah. So right now we're doing an operational briefing for every platoon schedule. So A, B, and C, they'll get a fresh ops briefing and what we call an instant action plan or an IAP. Um, the information has been overwhelming. This has been a, a very dynamic incident and what we had day one is not, is not the same today. Mm-hmm. And so part of this has been, we have to be nimble and flexible and adaptable to what we're learning. Um, when we first picked up on this and started creating procedures, we had some really good best practices and within two or three days they had changed. And I think a lot of that's because the CDC, which we're leaning hard on and Salt Lake County health had learned new information. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. It's kind of like a wagon wheel, like the team in the middle, we can turn pretty fast, but you got to go to the very end of the spoke where the wheel turns much slower. And as an organization of our size, it's hard. We get information coming in so quickly and we try to disseminate that out to the field. That's a much slower process just because of how much, how many people we have, geography, communications. And by the time we communicate a message, it could have changed by, you know, the time it makes it to the last person who needs it. And so we've done our best to not confuse people. At first there was a lot of information and I can say, and these guys probably agree, I probably read hundreds of pages of documentation and literature and IPs and research. And we, we have people literally reading and just, just extracting information that's important to us. Um, at first with this task force, part of the goal was to push out information. And like you said, we, we like to call it titrate to effect. I think we went well beyond the effect that we wanted <laughs> and we had a lot of information out there. So we're, we're trying to, we're trying to take the feedback we get from the field the people who are using this stuff. It's not for us, it's for them. Um, and when we learned that there's too much, it's disorganized, it's not coming out in a very clear fashion, that's when we kind of pulled the trigger to move to the team because that allows us to streamline the majority of our processes and be way more organized. So by doing that, by creating a daily IEP or the by, you know, by daily, we're doing every two days. And um, by doing these briefings, we've consolidated all this information we're on a we're on a planning cycle where we're developing this plan every 48 hours. And that gives us time to research, vet, verify, make sure what we have is going out some most current stuff. And if there's a small change, it's easy to make a change now versus how we we're doing it before. So I think we kind of underestimated at first what this was really gonna be because nobody knew. And we quickly, quickly adapted and realized this is gonna be a long-term journey that's gonna take some time. Well, for all four of you, I'm just curious. I mean, you're used to dealing with incidents. Like you said, this is an invisible thing. You're used to dealing with 
big either earthquakes or a big fire and you can see it and the adrenaline gets pumping and you're like, this is what I've trained for. I'm ready to go. You probably didn't do a lot of training for dealing with pandemics. How, how challenging has it been to just stay on it this whole time, knowing this could be months before we're really going solving this thing. Well, it's interesting you mentioned earthquake because we did have an earthquake. (laughs) And and the funny thing about the earthquake is like the joke is really, Hey, we're, we're done. It was like lunchtime and the earthquake was like resolved. I'm like, dang, that's freaking awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And then we got this invisible pandemic that's still ongoing. And so I think the important thing for all of us is this is a long game. This isn't like a wildfire. And I've been on wildfires that have gone for months, Mm -hmm. but this is so much different. And the, the mental fatigue, there's a lot of anxiety, I think out amongst just general population because we just don't know what we're dealing with. We're not the only ones exposed to this. Our families are. I mean, everyone is, right? And so it just this one has a totally different tone to it versus like the wildfire, the earthquake, the hurricane that we go on, we see it, we deal with it, then we check out and go home. This one is happening at home and we, we kind of own it and there's no escaping it. And until this is resolved, we're engaged. And so it's it's a uh, it's kind of like running a marathon. We started out as a sprint and some days are going to be sprints, but for the most part, we just got to pace ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just keep practicing the best, you know, the, the implementing the best practices that we come across and just really prepare ourselves for not a, a couple day event, but a several month long, if not, you know, who knows what this brings, but yeah, I know for me personally, the longest I'd ever been on a single event was 31 days. This is day 42 now mm. and we've still got, a ways to go. So it's Chief Pilgrim's absolutely right. This is a marathon and it's not going to end anytime real soon. That's it's weird being an unprecedented event. You know, we've all read case studies. You guys have gone on many real life events, whether it's long-term forest fires, uh, natural disasters, flooding, anything like that. Uh, A pandemic's unprecedented. Uh, We heard Chief Dern say the other morning, uh, he's the operations section chief for our team, how it's so weird when he does a fire briefing for a large scale event. He knows what the objectives are. He knows what the outcome is going to look like. He's fought fire. He knows how that looks after we fight more fire. Nobody really knows. It's been a hundred years since anything of this proportion happened. And and the world was a different place then. Mm -hmm. And it was a different virus. So it's the unknown. Uh, That's where the research comes in. I know uh, Chief Fossum sends us out an incident action plan from a different fire department almost every day of the week. Hey, look what they're doing. Learn from this. And and that's cool. Being able to learn from other departments uh, and and see who's ahead of us on the curve, who's behind on the curve, see where we're at and then try to plan going forth. But it's totally a new thing for yeah. everyone. And most organizations our size are doing that. They have their own team stood up. They're mm-hmm. partnering with their county health and their state health departments. And so what you're seeing here is a best practice around the country. And that's some of the stuff we learned is these departments that implemented teams got ahead of it way quicker than the ones who may not have the resources to do so or just didn't do it. And so lots of we learned is stuff that these guys, by the way, I mean, the networking from being on a team is amazing. So we're able to work with people around the country dozens of fire departments who have similar situations that we do. And so kind of the cool thing is we, we extract and get so much information from our partners and a lot of that's due to our ability to deploy out and go do these things every year. I mean, we got guys on USAR wildland, um, which are two primary ones. We've done some all hazard stuff Yep, and we, we get people getting these experiences around the country. So it doesn't matter what the incident is, right? When we learn these lessons and bring them back, that's the value. 
And so there's going to be a ton from the pandemic that will be implemented on the next one. And but it's such, it's, it's such a huge bonus too, for, uh, again, going back to the local community and the citizens we serve, right. All these lessons, everything that we've, we've all been on and all these type one type two incidents that we've, we've helped resolve in, in other communities and other areas. We, we've brought those lessons back and, and we tie that back into the local community to make the local community safer, to make, to make the citizens healthier. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and again, it's kind of a wag and we don't know what the end's going to look like, but those lessons are just hugely beneficial and having the national reach that we have within our organization. Uh, we've got, we've got multiple people that have been on type one, type two teams uh, that have been out on large, large scale incidents and, and having that, that knowledge and that, that baseline to, to draw from and, and that experience to bring back uh, just has helped out tremendously on, on uh, again, the local, the local community benefits greatly by us having that national reach and that national know-how that otherwise we wouldn't uh, if, if we, you know, if we closed our borders and didn't didn't decide to send people out on on wildland incidents within within the nation, or uh, going out with USAR on on incident support teams and and pushing out and and dealing with you know large scale hurricanes and and earthquakes and and having that knowledge base to draw from, we'd be in a much worse position than than we currently are. And so, you know, it, it, I know there's always the question of of what benefit does that bring us? Uh, and and to me this is evident, right? This is just direct evidence of, of what we bring back to the local communities from these large scale incidents we're able to go on. I think that's a good point. Uh, we're fortunate being a department of our size. Uh, one of the big advantages is we can support that staffing model where we can send people out for this training uh, in other places that comes back and then serves our communities here. And, and that's a really good point, bringing that back to the communities, how we've been allowed to do that. And it, comes back to serve us when we have incidences here. And that's, that's a strong thing. Well, we'll definitely be learning from this thing. Cause it's, it's going a long time. Maybe just as we're wrapping up chief Pilgrim, just tell us um, who's part of the IMT and what's kind of the next, next phase or next step for that group. Awesome. So we, we pulled in um, some select people, a lot of it's based off of their experience and their knowledge and what we have. Um, so I've been running as incident commander currently. Um, I spent a lot of time in that position in different organizations as far as going out and deploying, which has been pretty awesome. Um, within the the command structure, what we call the command staff, we have Captain Greensides. So Mike Greensides is our safety officer. Uh, Matt, who's here with us today with his amazing mustache, is our PIO. So that, that mustache is opening doors all over the country. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, liaison officer, we have Wade Watkins. So he's doing a lot of community outreach with sure. our, our, our communities, which is very important to us. And um, we also have a family liaison officer that's doing, dealing with and handling incidents that come up within our, our operational personnel. And that's Captain Hilton. Um, as you see here, Chief Awesome member, it's our uh, plan section chief. So very important component of all this stuff. Uh, chief Robinson, Zach's our logistics section chief. Um, we have Tony Hill, who's our, or Dusty Dern, sorry, we'll go to ops. Dusty Dern and Chief Higgs have been running operations, sort of dealing with everything that's out in the field. And then Tony Hill's running finance. Then uh, we have Chief Torgerson in there covering the medical component as well. And so it's set up as a traditional IMT. We have a few unique functions in there, like the medical piece um, is working with our safety officer to make sure everything is commensurate. We have some people in the field. Um, who are on the team and just outreaching to the field to make sure they have what they need. And then uh, 
We also are partnering with Salt Lake County. So we're using a lot of their information for our plans. We're pulling their stuff. And so we're, we're Brett's at working both components. He's able to work with Salt Lake County and with us and make sure our plans are lining up with the information and all the, uh, the data. So that, that's been a big deal. But yeah, we'll we'll continue to look at this and below each one of those sections, below logistics, planning, operations, finance, there's a team of people who are doing amazing stuff every single day. So those are kind of the leaders in that position. And below that, we have a lot of other people just accomplishing these critical tasks to make sure that things are flowing smoothly. So, so that's what's cool about this is, you know, we have this command structure at the top, but where the stuff happens is everybody below us. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're just there to provide some direction, guidance, and leadership and kind of put it all together, but the work's really happening below us and definitely within operations, our people running calls. That's what this is all for. And I, I think that's important for us to remember that is we have this team, but the real intent is to make sure that the firefighter on the ambulance and on the engines, on the ladders have everything they need to do their jobs. And so that that's what we are. Is that we're More importantly, we're a support function to them. And so we hope what we're delivering them is is meeting their needs. And, and it's been hugely beneficial, too, uh, with the boots on the ground and, and those people that are running those calls. They also have a, quite a bit of insight, and they've been able to bring stuff back as well from, from their networks and, and identifying things that are best practices in other areas and sending that to uh, the IMT to take a look at and, and kind of vet that information and uh, know whether we need to push that out or not. That's a good point. We shouldn't forget. Uh, we're, we're here talking about the IMT and the structure of how we're doing this at the the upper level of plan planning this, but it, there's all the people in the field and operations who are actually making it happen. And they're running the calls on the sick people. They're having to wear the extra PPE just to make sure there's, we're limiting that chain of exposure. Um, and, and all this is to support that. So our response is effective and appropriate. And those guys who are actually running the emergency calls and taking care of sick people have what they need to do their job in the community. Yep. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about the IMT and what's happening with it. I uh, really appreciate your efforts. I really appreciate our frontliners kind of dealing with this, especially even throughout the Valley, whether it's our department or other fire departments or even the state. Um, I'm sure everybody's going through similar things. We're going to get through this. So um, for, for Cam DeVogue, I'm Niall Eason. For Matt, thank you guys all for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Until next time, this has been Roll Call.